Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. When I was a teenager, my parents had a few rules, most of which were centered around basic survival, including that you couldn't go camping with your friends until you could build and safely tend a fire. So my dad walked me through the steps and then watched as I started with a bed of leaves, carefully made a teepee shape of small sticks, and then added slightly bigger ones, then lit the fire, continually feeding it until much, much later when it was hot enough to support a large log. I had it down. So I was amazed when I went on a camping trip with my city slicker college boyfriend who took one huge log, set it in the fire pit, and tried to light it. (laughs) Flick. Flick, flick. Flick, flick, flick. True story. I um, started working on sandwiches for dinner. So I've been thinking a lot lately about how change happens both in our world and in ourselves, and I'm struggling with my tendency to want it to be simple, a bit like my college boyfriend who wanted a campfire to come from lighting a single log. Last week was the 50th anniversary of Bloody Sunday, when thousands had marched across a bridge in Selma, Alabama to protest police brutality and were beaten for marching without a permit. Fifty years after Selma, the Department of Justice reports that people of color are now three times more likely than whites to be searched at a traffic stop, four times more likely to experience the use of force at that stop, and one in three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. Fifty years after Selma, the Federal Reserve Board reports that white families hold six times the net worth of non-white families. And 50 years after Selma, the BBC reports 75% of American whites have only white friends. King's dream of children being judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character seems to remain elusive. Recently, my friends have brought a number of children of color into my life, and so this question of what do I do to create a world that is safer more just, more inclusive, has also become much more personal. And I recognize that most of the stories that I know about major social change seem to feature one person who was deeply inspired and led the way. Martin, Malcolm, Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, Gandhi, Rosa. So then logically, the answer seems to be to search for the next deeply inspired leader. I often wonder, what if the heroes and the leaders of the civil rights movement 
hadn't been killed? How might our world be different today? But the better question, it seems, is not what if, but what now? What do we do in this generation with these gifts and these dreams and these realities to build the world that we dream? What now do we do to bring the change that we hope to see in the world? So to answer that, I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into this idea that one deeply inspired person leads the way. I saw an article by one of the organizers from Black Lives Matter that said, we cannot wait for our Martin. We cannot wait for our Malcolm. We are the ones. As I look at our history, I wonder if, in fact, we have always been the ones. If it's always been the small pieces of wood that make it possible for the big logs to burn. For example, there's this famous story of Rosa Parks, right? The story is a random seamstress who spontaneously broke the law by refusing to sit in the black section of a Montgomery, Alabama bus, kicked off a movement that ended segregation in the South. That without warning or structure, the biggest logs caught fire and shed light on a nation living in ignorance. That's, that's the story. Well, in fact, Rosa Parks was not a woman who was tired on the bus. She worked for the, chapter, the local chapter of the NAACP. She was trained at the Highlander Center in organizing and civil disobedience. She was an active and committed community organizer who had worked with King for months to inspire and organize the black communities into a bus boycott. That nonviolent action had been planned months in advance. It was not one person making a stand. It was a community organizing to stand together. In fact, there had even been other bus boycotts. M Mrs. Parks was not the first to hold her seat. So part of the success of the Montgomery boycott was that the community in Montgomery created a separate transportation infrastructure to drive each other where they needed to go during that 381-day boycott. Thousands of people shared their gifts and their resources to create that change. So while history would have us believe that we simply need to wait for a courageous leader, Mrs. Rosa Parks was not a random, weary seamstress who spontaneously sat down and started a movement. She was an intentionally placed spark that lit a fire that had been very carefully set. As she very famously said, the only tired I was was tired of giving in. Today, the Black Lives Matter movement has been criticized for lack of clear leadership. The story is that there's nobody who's in charge. There's no Malcolm, there's no Martin. Well, precisely. Black Lives Matter was started by Patrice Coolers, Opal Tometi, and Alicia Garez. I had to look that up. It's not leaderless, but leaderful with 23 chapters nationwide, one in Toronto and one in Ghana. Leadership is intentionally decentralized 
recognizing that grassroots systemic change now starts online and can be based everywhere. This is a community organizing itself to stand up, thousands of people sharing their gifts and resources to create change. So while we're looking for a single source of light, we're missing the light and the warmth that is all around us. The fact that the movement doesn't match our understanding of what the story should be says more about our limited vision than it does about the movement's limited power. Today, our congregation and our city is full of leaders feeding the fires of justice. In this congregation alone, our gifts and our resources are deeply committed to immigrant justice work, to feeding the hungry, to LGBT and veterans' rights, to understanding our own history and how our unearned advantages have shaped us as a community. There are interfaith coalitions working for economic justice in the city and Unitarian Universalists remain committed to feeding that fire. So the stories we tell of the past always seem kind of clear cut and tidy. I was touched by the complexity of that last week in a workshop that was led here in the chapel by our church historian, Holly Hendricks. Holly was telling us about the Arlington Street Church history in the 1960s and about the Women's Caucus, which led the fight to help women break into the Old Boys Club of Ministry. The caucus raised money for scholarships. It created special training opportunities and mentorship. Unitarian Universalism now has more women in ministry than any other denomination. See, it's a simple story. There was this women's caucus. They created change. Now women can be Unitarian Universalist ministers. But the reality of that story unfolded in front of me in this presentation as photo after photo flashed by, and I saw that I know her, and I know her that I recognize these women from the congregation. In fact, two of them were in the room. And when Holly asked if they had anything they wanted to share about that time, one said, well, it was very busy because we all had lives. And when she said that, I felt my own shoulders come down and my chest loosen. I felt a weight lift off of me. I was as hopeful as I have been in months, sitting across from these women who had ended an injustice while raising their children and building their careers. Because it meant it was possible. They weren't professional community organizers or trained activists. They weren't Martin or Malcolm. They were people who saw what needed to be done and did it. I saw with new eyes our connections to the past and that we stand on the shoulders of giants who were themselves actually human beings like the rest of us, 
with jobs and kids and schedules, who used their gifts to change the world and do what needed to be done. Does everybody have a piece of wood and a marker or something to write with? No? If you don't, uh, please raise your hand and the ushers can help you out. So over on the side, Claire and Ellertson's down here. Ben needs one. Margie needs one. Karen in the back. Michael needs one. Thank you, Alec. Here, here. Okay. So I'd like you to take a moment while the pieces of wood are making their way around. Take a moment and um, think about something that you're good at. In other words, what is one of your gifts? Just one. I know you have many gifts, but it's sort of a small piece of wood. Just one. Over here. Ooh. So I'd like you now in one or two words, write that gift on your piece of wood. And um, we're going to be gathering these in a moment, so keep it clean, people. Now think about a change, one change, that you would like to see in the world. Write that on the other side of the piece of wood. So on one side, you're writing your gifts, and on the other side, you're writing the change you'd like to see in the world. Now raise your hand if you've ever built a campfire. Excellent. So we know that a piece of wood like this won't last long or generate much light in a campfire. Right? This piece of wood is going to burn quickly. It is also true that without these small pieces of wood, without your gifts, there is no fire. And there is no change. But when these small pieces come together, they can create a light that kindles an even greater flame. So if we want a world where 100 years after Selma, the police serve and protect. 100 years after Selma, there is economic justice and equal opportunity. 100 years after Selma, friendships are described by character, not color. If we want peace, justice, an end to disparity and inequality and hunger, if we want a sustainable planet, if we want a roaring light to guide the world, we must start with these small pieces together. During the offertory, the ushers will gather all these gifts and visions into a basket. 
As you leave through the great doors at the end of today's service, you may each take one from the basket as a reminder of how we need all of our gifts to kindle all of our dreams. How by organizing ourselves, we can be the spark that changes the world. My friends, I leave you with this thought from Unitarian Universalist minister and author, the Reverend Dr. Mark Morrison Reed. Reverend Reed says, it is the church that assures us that we are not struggling for justice on our own, but as members of a larger community. The religious community is essential, for alone our vision is too narrow to see all that must be seen, and our strength too limited to do all that must be done. Together, our vision widens and our strength is renewed. Blessed be and amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.